0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever, and with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What right there, right there. Wide belly up. This is the game. I mean, it's a uh, cat and mouse. Smoked a turkey. <laughs> yes.
1: He is down. He is freaking down. Said he shot an absolute giant.
0: Fall Obsession, baby.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We are back for another Fall Obsession podcast episode. And once again this week, I'm hosting. I'm Sam Thrash with Fall Obsession. And I'm joined uh, once again by our marketing manager, Mr. Drew Tordick. Drew, welcome back, man.
2: Hey, thanks a lot. It's good to be here again.
1: Yeah, I was. we were really happy to get you on board um, a few episodes ago for podcast on elk hunting, and kind of the game plan today is to um, build upon what we talked about previously and, and add a little bit more to it, so I'm excited.
2: Yeah, me too. Uh, there was a lot of topics that I personally thought of, and I've had people reach out to me asking me some questions too, so it'll be good to talk about some of those topics.
1: Absolutely, man well um as always you guys know the drill before we dive into it i gotta give a shout out to our friends over at elite archery Um, they are part of what makes this podcast possible Um, we're very happy to be partnered with them for another hunting season coming up this year drew and i are both running the new elite cure as our frontline setup for the 2020 season i know i'm super pumped drew you are as well i believe
2: yeah i'm really excited i was actually out at the range last night one of the local public ranges here and man the number of compliments i was getting on that bow every time you pull it out people want to know what it is so besides shooting really well it it draws a lot of attention in a good way
1: yeah i i'm very very happy with my cure not only is it um a a, literally a bow unlike any other bow in the industry with the set technology and the quarter inch draw length increments but man that i'm i'm glad you said that cuz that was one thing that i i've really noticed the more i've played around with that bow it is just a a good looking bow man <laughs> it's solid
2: <laughs> it really is and the other thing is being able to adjust it at the range you know without having to have a bow press and really being able to dial things in it has people coming up asking me questions all the time too
1: yeah, for sure, and and I know that, that I got people uh, down here in Texas, you up in Minnesota, you know, like Drew said, people are always asking about it, always, always wanting to check it out, so um, I encourage you guys to do the same. Um, go to EliteArchery.com, see what they have to offer. Um, they have all their accessories on there, they have their bows on there, you guys can order your own bow online even if you want, but above all, go to your local dealer, shoot one, compare it to other brands. Uh, I promise that you're not going to be disappointed. It is just a a solid product, and Elite has blown it out of the park this year. So you won't be disappointed. Go check them out. So Drew, um, like I just mentioned briefly when we kicked this off, you and I did an episode, a few episodes back on uh, backcountry elk hunting, and. I want to, I think it's good that we can elaborate a little bit more on that, because like you said, you, you uh and, and as we were kind of pre-gaming a little before we started recording, you got some stuff that came to mind afterward, that's always the case, we always think of stuff after we're done recording that we want to talk about, but um you had some stuff come to mind afterward that you want to elaborate on, and then I have some other stuff that I think we can um kind of expand into in regards to Western hunting and, and your experiences as well, so I'm excited.
2: Yeah, me too.
1: So, so I'll let you kick us off and and kind of go into some of the stuff that that you were thinking about that you uh, that you wanted to cover that we didn't get a chance to talk about in our previous episode on backcountry elk hunting.
2: Yeah, I think the biggest one that kind of I was thinking about that I really felt a little bit not embarrassed, but I can't believe we <laughs> overlooked it was talking about camp. Yes. You know, hike all the way out there and get 15 miles from the truck you better have something figured out to camp and you're not just staying there by yourself
1: no as far back as you guys are and as long as you're out there there is no winging it
2: <laughs> no we're we're pretty prepared we uh we're running the TP tents from seek outside uh ran them for the last two years now and man they are great tents use it with the half liner With the titanium wood stove, I think all in my tent and wood stove combo is like seven pounds. So it makes getting back in there and being comfortable while you're back in there not freezing, it makes it really doable, really easy. Awesome. Yeah. And I I know when I was with the outfitter, we were hunting out of wall tents and there's no way you could do that on a backpack trip. There's just the amount of weight that those canvas wall tents have. It's just, you couldn't do that. And these seek outside tents, they're so nice and they really do like, they take up almost no space in the bag that titanium wood stove breaks down and is super small and super light to carry. And I'm just overall really happy with it.
1: Absolutely. So, so one thing that I'm going to do, and as we're talking about this and I'm thinking about this one thing that um I'm going to have us do is I'm going to have you send me uh some links to those to to what you're talking about and so whenever our listeners guys when you are listening to this episode you can go to uh, we'll, we'll have a post on our on our social media pages where you guys can actually view these products we'll put some links in there that way you guys can go check them out and actually visually see what Drew's talking about too
2: yeah definitely and the tent is just the beginning i mean there's so many other products where after being out there a few different years and really being kind of all over the board and on the types of conditions that we've been in I mean I've been anywhere from t-shirt and shorts to I think the coldest I've been out there is 10 below oh wow so I've seen a huge variety of conditions I mean we're hunting up at 10,000 feet I think is where base camp is and we hunt even higher up than that so We're we're pretty far up in elevation, and so seeing snow in mid-September is not out of the question at all. And so really being prepared for all types of weather is really crucial. So there's some other things that I've really learned, and one of those uh, which was surprising to me was the sleeping bag setup. So the first time out there, I was just you know, in a standard, I don't know if it's a zero-degree or negative 20-degree sleeping bag, and I was cold. (laughs) even with the wood stove even in the wall tent I was cold and since then I've done a lot of research and one of the things I'd recommend to anybody going out is a bivy sack first of all that really helps keep the heat in at night for one and it keeps your sleeping bag dry which is the most important part because the second you get it damp at all that it doesn't insulate you and you get really cold
1: yeah yeah. I That is uh, not even having the, the experiences that you have. Um, I, I can attest to your sleeping bag being a very crucial part of planning any hunting or camping trip.
2: <laughs> yeah. And the one thing I actually added to that setup last year was a sleeping bag liner, which is essentially just a sheet in the shape of a sleeping bag, but it adds another five degrees to the sleeping bag. And if you do get warm at night and you end up sweating a little bit, it takes all that sweat and stops it from getting into your sleeping bag, which, again, helps you stay dry and keep that bag dry so that you're not having to deal with a wet bag the next night or even later on once that fire dies down. It really helps keep you a lot warmer.
1: Yeah, for sure. Man, All the just, just the little stuff, man. <laughs> the little stuff makes a difference.
2: It is. It's surprising how such a small thing and that takes up no weight in the pack at all. But having that width is such an added creature comfort and really helps you just get a better night's sleep, which when you're hiking 10 to 15 miles a day, getting good sleep at night is really important.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: I think one of the other things we could touch upon, we're kind of right there already, is what's one creature comfort? And this was somebody actually reached out to me. And wanted to know, they heard the podcast and wanted to know, in my pack, since we're trying to save weight, what's one creature comfort that I'm adding that a lot of guys don't carry that really is going to help you out in that long trip? And I besides a pillow, which is huge, right? The first couple of years, I tried to use rolled up jackets, extra oh, yeah. clothes, tried to prop my sleeping bag up, whatever it was, it didn't offer me that same night's sleep as having a pillow with so for me my number one is a pillow the second one is really surprising and that's a chocolate bar and it doesn't have to be multiples it doesn't have to be a lot of them but you know when you're out and you're having a really rough day and you just need that one little like pick me up one little even it's an emotional boost you know having that little piece of chocolate to just (laughs) really brighten your day connect you back to home give you a little bit of sugar a little bit of fat boost it's it's super
1: nice (laughs) I imagine so yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh,
2: yeah I think what not last year but two years ago I I carried that chocolate bar almost 100 miles before I finally ate it it was just like it was so good me and (laughs) one of the guys were sitting up on a ridge glassing at sunset and it was like We hadn't seen many elk. We were really discouraged and I pulled that candy bar out and you should have seen the other guy's face. He had a huge smile and was really happy. I had that chocolate (laughs) (laughs) bar.
1: That's awesome. (laughs) So, so what, what other stuff do we need to know about for, for setting up base camp for, for planning ahead of time? Um, what are some make it or break it items that we need to know about?
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely food, right? So planning food out and really trying to figure out what the highest calorie to weight food that you can figure out to bring with. So it's a lot of freeze dried foods, but also, I mean, there's differences in, in the amount of calories per weight. And I mean, even a Snickers bar is pretty good as far as how much you're getting out of it for how little it weighs. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, the other thing to look at is like instant potatoes. They don't take anything to cook up, and they weigh almost nothing in your pack. And besides really filling you up and making you feel full, it's a nice calorie boost and a nice carb boost.
1: For sure. Now, I may be interjecting or getting ahead of you here, but uh, I know you mentioned in our previous episode the importance of having camp close to water. And I just, I wanted to bring that up again for the sake of a separate episode that we're doing right now. And my assumption, again, I I don't have the experiences that you do, but my assumption that that would be crucial in, in that you're not having to pack any, any cases of water or anything else up there with you.
2: Yeah, that it's huge. And I mean, there's places where you can't get water in the mountains, but where we're at, we're lucky enough to have, there's water everywhere. It seems like every couple hundred yards you're crossing a creek. And the biggest thing out there is really knowing, and it takes a little bit of experience and a little bit of research, but knowing what creeks are more safe to drink out of than others and avoiding the ones that kind of go through the low valleys where there might be beavers or other animals in it, Um, really selecting the ones that are flowing a little bit faster, coming down over some rocks and over the sand. Uh, There's a certain... I can't remember the exact ratio, but they say that if the water is flowing over a sandy bottom in sunlight, that it's like there's a certain distance where it has to travel, but essentially the UV is killing all the bacteria in it. So it's more safe to drink that. And I also carry one of the Sawyer filters. Uh, they're huge, they're available pretty much everywhere. They fit on to a water bottle, onto a water bag, onto different systems and they really offer you the versatility. I think you can even use it as a straw and drink right out of the Creek if you want to. Oh, wow. And yeah, that's another thing we should definitely include the link for people to check out because it doesn't weigh anything, but it allows you to filter unlimited clean water. And I, I can't remember the amount that they say that you can run through it, but I've never had an issue with it clogging and never gotten sick from drinking water in the backcountry And i think that's huge it also allows you to carry water with you i i know with those water bags even if we're camping away from water you're able to throw some extra stuff in the path you don't have to filter it right then and just be able to filter it later if you want to or whatever setup you need it, it just offers that versatility absolutely other things that i'd really focus on when you're trying to find a good place to camp besides the water is trying to get out of the wind uh that's one thing that it might not seem like it the first hour you're there it might not seem like it even the first night you're there but getting out of the wind at night really helps you sleep better helps you stay warmer helps you there's a lot a lot of reasons to do it but some of the places to really avoid are like some benches, some saddles, uh, things like that where you're kind of exposed. So getting getting back into the trees just a little bit, being careful not to be around any dead trees because you don't want them falling on you in the wind. But trying to find yourself a nice place to camp is is really important.
1: Absolutely, 100%. Uh,
2: I guess if we're if we're still talking about co- uh, comfort in camp and and food and all that stuff, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to cook at camp whether it's open fire Uh, the other thing a lot of people use is a jet boil system
1: Hmm.
2: you can carry the fuel inside of the cooking container and it's all one more or less self-contained unit and one of those little tanks of fuel is enough to last you I don't know three or four days if you're making coffee if you're eating breakfast lunch and dinner but if you're really cutting it down to one meal a day, you can stretch those fuel tanks out for quite a while and really cut down on the amount of weight that you have to carry. And even, even more so if you're figuring out a way to double up on, you know, so if you're making dinner in your mountain house or your mashed potatoes only take a certain amount of water but you're boiling other water for other items, whether it's your coffee, whether it's your tea, whatever whatever you drink to keep you warm. Um, that really helps. I know on the cold nights, I used to make my tea at night and put that water bottle in my sleeping bag with me. And like It's a vacuum canister, so it doesn't give off a ton of heat, but the little bit of heat that it does, it was nice to have that down by your feet sometimes.
1: Oh, yeah. I'd imagine so. Best
2: part of that, too, is then you wake up in the morning and your coffee's already made. And you don't even have to get out of bed to have it. So,
1: there you go, living in luxury out there, right? <laughs> so, packing all this in, do you normally? And I know, I know, we've talked briefly about this in our previous episode, but do you normally pack in on foot, or do you have uh, horses or mules that you use, or or you literally have all this on your back?
2: Yeah, so I'm to the point now where I carry everything on my back. Uh, it was nice while I was with the outfitter and they were able to carry everything in on the horses and get camp set up. And all I'd really had to worry about was getting myself to camp. I'm comfortable on a horse and I like riding horses, but due to some back injuries and some hip injuries and things like that, it's just, I'm way more comfortable hiking the 15 miles than riding that in. And now I carry everything on my back. I think I try and weigh my pack, uh, I think. The heaviest I've ever carried out was 47 pounds, and that was fully loaded with camera gear, with solar chargers, with a lot of stuff that really is unnecessary for the average person to get out in the backcountry and go hunting. But for some reason, I thought I needed to carry all that with me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this year, um, I'm going to dial it down. I'm looking to get somewhere around, I think, 35 pounds is my goal. Uh, it may be a little heavier just to get out to camp seeing as there's some other guys who are going out who have never been out there before and aren't really into the extreme of roughing it that I am. Uh, so we'll probably carry in a few more supplies and a few more creature comforts. And so that'll boost the pack weight just a little bit, but yeah, I'm trying to keep it under 40 pounds this year.
1: Gotcha. So when you kill an elk, how does that trip look going back? From camp
2: Yeah. So this year with the seven guys that are going, uh, it's gonna be sort of a group effort to get the elk out of the mountains. We are all carrying the uh, Garmin in reaches, which allows you to send text messages to your buddies uh when you're out there. They all communicate through satellites and it's it's a nice feature to be in contact with everybody else. We're splitting up and going in teams of two. And so our plan is to just hunt in teams of two, and if somebody shoots an elk, then we're going get to get a hold of each other on those Garmin inReach platforms and go over and help them quarter it out. And we talked a little bit about that, the gutless method last time, I think. Yeah. But using that and being able to get those quarters out and your back straps and your tender lines and then your camp meat, meet whatever else you can pull off of it, it's going to be a lot easier with six guys, but what it's going to look like is more or less one person's carrying a rear quarter. Two guys are each carrying a rear quarter. Two guys are carrying a front quarter. One guy's carrying all the other meat. And then we'll probably have, hopefully we're shooting bulls and somebody's carrying the head out. And so we'll leave camp set up. There's no reason to haul the tent and everything out. Uh, We'll, haul it out and back to the truck and where we're at we're lucky enough that it's a couple miles up a really bumpy road but we're in a small little town out there and honestly we'll, since it's 15 miles out and we're carrying heavy packs we'll probably end up staying the night in a hotel just have that nice break from sleeping in a tent and being able to clean up a little bit and somebody's gonna have to take that meat either to the processor or to a freezer somewhere.
1: Yeah. So that <clears throat> mentioning the hotel and cleaning up, that that was another question that I was going to going to ask, what do you account for or plan for out there when it comes to to personal hygiene? Because I know I know when you're out there, I mean, you're camping it, you're in the back country, you're roughing it, but to some extent you don't want to just be disgusting the entire the entire time you're out there, am, am I right?
2: Yeah, I mean that's a personal preference. Yeah. Some, some guys go that whole time without showering. I personally like to stay clean. So after a long day of hiking, I'm coming back and I carry a washcloth and a hand towel and I well, a small bar of biodegradable soap. And so I'm standing on the creek edge, cleaning myself up, putting on maybe not necessarily a clean t-shirt or a clean shirt, but a dry shirt. Yeah. Uh, it really helps, just kind of with that that mental, the mental happiness. You know, it's it's a really nice, comforting thing to be clean at the end of the day when you're crawling in your sleeping bag and not smelling really bad.
1: Yeah, it it refreshes you and kind of helps you reset a little bit better. I feel like.
2: Yeah, it definitely does, and I mean, carrying that and a toothbrush, and then be, besides that. The other thing that's really important out there as far as I don't know if it's technically hygiene, but it's more first aid, uh, carrying stuff to deal with blisters and hot spots. I know we all carry Leukotape, which is essentially like a Band-Aid without the pad. So it's that brown woven fabric and being able to stop the second you feel that hot spot building or the second you think you have a blister and really treat that will make you more comfortable in the long run, especially when you're hiking 100 plus miles in a week. Absolutely. The other thing that will really help you in that regard is having wool socks and never wearing cotton socks. I made the mistake one year hiking into camp because it was warm and because I was wearing just regular hiking shoes and not my hunting boots on the way in that I wore cotton socks on accident. And it was about halfway through the trip when I realized the mistake. And... I had to do some pretty severe doctoring to my feet that year and having that Luko tape with allowed me to continue my hunt. And really, I mean, without that stuff, I would not have been able to continue my hunt. I would have been pretty much stuck at camp.
1: Yeah. There, there's a lot of stuff out there that, that, uh, that can help you make it or break it if, if something like that happens. And You've mentioned products, whether it's the tape or, or your tent setup. You, you have mentioned specific products both um, in this episode and our previous uh, episode together. I would like to just throw out there just as kind of a side note to, to our listeners that um, while we at Fall Obsession do have um, some corporate and product partners, none of these companies that or products that Drew has mentioned um, are, are we partnered with. These these are products that Drew has done his own research on and found to be effective for himself in the field, spending his own money on them. So, if if just to kind of disclose that to you guys a little bit better, that this is, I mean, this is hunter to hunter right here. That you know, these are products that that have proven to work, and that Drew's willing to invest his own money in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is not in any way some sponsorship endorsement or anything like that. I'm telling you what works for me and what has kept, helped keep me comfortable in the backcountry. And uh, while we're calling them out by name, there are all the other alternatives to that. Uh, these are just the ones that I've found work the best. And, yeah, like you said, I, w- I wish we were sponsored by all these companies. That would be <laughs> <really> great. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll use their products regardless of having a sponsorship or not just because they're such good products, and I really believe in the way they work in the backcountry.
1: Absolutely. So Drew, there's, there's a lot, I mean, we've, we've just in our short time already, we've talked about a lot of stuff. And then obviously there's a whole nother episode, episode 16 that guys can go back and listen to if they, if they want some more details on your, specifically on your elk hunting trips. But before we move on to kind of the second part of this episode, um, I wanted to ask, what are some of the, what's like the biggest lesson that you've learned based on previous experiences and, and the recent seasons that you've had out there um, in the back country?
2: Yeah, I, I think the number one piece of advice that I could give anybody is don't leave elk to find elk. A couple of years ago on my hike in, I found a pretty nice herd of elk. And because of the distance from where we were camped, it wasn't, off limits but it was highly suggested that i hunt other places and i i went that whole season without seeing an elk i the only elk i saw was on the hike into camp and the day before opening day and from that point on i didn't see an elk and it wasn't for lack of trying it wasn't for lack of covering ground it was that's where the elk were they've had stuff up there and towards the end of the hunt we actually hiked up there just to go see on the way out why they were up there and there was so much feed up there and so much water up there that that was the spot to be that year so that'd be my piece of advice is don't leave elk to find elk and also if you're not seeing sign if you're not seeing elk don't be afraid to relocate uh last year we were in a a different mountain range completely uh one that was completely new to me and hunting a little bit later in the season, uh, after rifle season had opened, general season, and there was a lot of hunting pressure where we were at. And we stayed there a couple days longer maybe than we should have, but finally made the decision after nobody was seeing elk to relocate. And it wasn't far. It was still in the same mountain range. It was just a couple of drainages over. And suddenly we were back in the elk but by that time we had all put on so many miles and everybody was so worn out that it made it difficult to hunt them and out of our group of guys i think only one of us shot an elk and only two people even saw elk so it was it it would that was a learning lesson for me was if you're not seeing them don't be afraid to move but definitely don't leave them to find them
1: for sure that's that's good advice man so kind of moving into into part two of of this episode because we've we've talked a lot both episodes combined about elk hunting and now camping and planning and and products that uh that can make your life easier out there but one thing that i wanted to touch on because you you don't just put in for your elk tags or hunt elk you you uh you have quite the quite the platter every year. It seems like of, of tags and, and opportunities in front of you, um, whether it's elk, mule deer, whitetail, pronghorn, whatever it might be. So I wanted to I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how you how you plan your overall season when it comes to just what you want to pursue, what tags you want to put in for, and and kind of how you plan it out and divvy it up regarding where you're going and what you're hunting
2: yeah that's kind of a a long process actually Uh, (laughs) it it really involves looking at the hunts that I want to go do or that are on my wish list Uh, looking at dates looking at season dates uh, application dates Uh, some of the hunts that I do here in Minnesota there's actually a requirement for orientation meetings so oh wow some of that too uh really affects some of the other hunts and some of the hunts i do around here uh i know there's been a couple of years where i've either had to stay back and miss not miss the first day of elk season but miss that day before of scouting because i had to be here in minnesota to be at an orientation for one of the metro bow hunts so timing plays a huge part of it i guess the other thing is draw odds, draw statistics. And there's a couple of good sites that you can use to figure that out. And I've done a lot of research on that. And I put in for some pretty limited draw tags every year. Uh, usually not successful for it. And when I am, it kind of adds that extra challenge of trying to schedule in another hunt. I know this year I got drawn for a second Montana elk tag. So I got the Montana B tag is what they call it, and that's going to add an extra bit of hunting for me in Montana, but I know that you and I are both in on that antelope, the draw for the antelope in Montana, and I know there's a couple other people that are in that as well that may be coming with us, and so that's a more limited uh, draw. I think it's around 50%. But as a non-resident, I think your chances are slightly better because they allocate a certain amount of tags. I think Montana does about 10% of the tags for non-residents. And I don't think there's many non-residents applying for the area that we hunt. I think it's a kind of a local-type hunt. Yeah, And so kind of having that inside knowledge for something like that helps. So I guess if we were to look at my calendar, my calendar generally starts with, that metro bow hunt orientation, early September, then I'm out into Montana for the backcountry elk hunt. Uh, then I usually try and get back to Minnesota, and I love bow hunting here, uh, especially in the metro. Here in Minnesota, we're allowed unlimited antlerless deer in the metro zone,
1: oh, wow. and
2: so no matter how many deer you shoot, there's always a reason to go back out to the stand and keep on hunting, uh, which. Is a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I don't have a ton of success. There's been a few years where I've, I've gotten over. Minnesota has a five state or five deer bag limit, but that doesn't apply in the metro. And there's been a couple years where I've exceeded that, and that's always a lot of fun. That's awesome. Um, It is. It is. It's a lot of fun. Uh, So then I probably hunt till I think it's October. Generally, that we go back out to Montana for that pronghorn hunt. And sometimes in between there, I'm doing goose hunting. I'm doing duck hunting. I'm doing pheasant hunting with my dog, Moose. Uh, We've we been a little bit at one of the local game preserves around here, Sand Pine Pheasants. And it's a lot of fun. I, I keep myself really busy. So we go out to, to Montana for antelope, uh, sometimes stay out there and that goes into deer season sometimes depending on the time of year and I'm always back in Minnesota for opening uh gun season, which is first weekend in November here and so it, it's it's a process to try and get everything on the calendar and try and schedule things out especially now that we've thrown Texas into the mix and coming down there late December early January. And that's added another hunt, which, I mean, lucky for me, Minnesota shuts down at the end of December, and so I'm able to sort of f- have another state that's a little bit later that extends my season.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, your your calendar's definitely a lot a lot busier than mine. <laughs> <laughs> But I know, yeah. I know. like you said, I, I, I definitely am looking forward to, to pronghorn. It's something that I've looked forward the last two years, and I'm hoping that, uh, that we can make it a third for sure. Um, and, and talking about tags and, and draw success rates, that that's something different that, that we're trying, or at least for me, that I'm trying because the last two years I've put in for archery only, gotten drawn both years. And as you know, first year was successful, and last year was a lot more challenging um and then this year i put in the same as you for that general tag so little little lower uh lower chance of getting drawn but gives me the option to to shoot one with a rifle and and come home successful um cuz a drive from texas to montana is, is a long way to go to to not come home with a pronghorn <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah i yeah, i can imagine and i i've had the same feeling coming back from Montana after an unsuccessful elk trip it's you spend a lot of time and there is a lot of time between Montana and Minnesota to think about all the mistakes you made and how many times you probably could have gotten in a little closer on one and all the chances that you had and yeah I've definitely been there And that drive home without a cooler full of meat is it's it's still rewarding but it leaves something to be desired
1: yes and, and I think that, I mean, you live and learn and, and it's like I told, I, I told Chester who went with us, um, this last year on the Montana pronghorn hunt. Um, and, you know, we were, obviously we had plenty of time to talk on the drive home and, you know, it, it it's challenging. It's frustrating. You, you want to be successful, but in the end you learn from it. You become a better hunter because of it. In my opinion, uh, whether that be pronghorn, whether that be elk or, or even just, a uh, an unsuccessful whitetail hunt at home, you know, I I feel like there's something to be learned and something to take away from every, every experience and every trip.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I know last year we spent a lot of time out on some BLM land and I, I feel really fortunate, actually pretty lucky that I was able to find that spot because I mean, that spot can't be more than five miles by five miles if that, maybe a little bit more. And for some reason, those antelope love that spot. And it's pretty pretty consistent that you can find them there even when other spots aren't producing.
1: We were very fortunate last year. And I know I know we've talked before about dedicating a specific podcast to kind of recapping previous pronghorn seasons and, and what we plan to do, what our game plan is going ahead. Um, but uh, it, it, it was very – we were very fortunate to, I believe – See as many as we did last year, even though we were unsuccessful um, in in the short time in the small area that that we kind of hung out in.
2: <laughs> yeah, it actually it makes me laugh a little bit every time I hear the intro to this podcast because I was actually in that location when I recorded that that spot about talking about how you shot a, a giant and <laughs> getting the call from you back there was. It was pretty fun to be surrounded by antelope talking about how you already shot one. So I didn't have to pull out the backup plan that year, but we got to hunt it the next year, which was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll definitely have to. There there's a that you gave us a little preview right there. There's there's obviously a lot to the story um, regarding our 2018 and 2019 hunts out there. And and like I said, I I, I want to do another episode specifically about Montana, specifically about uh, the recap, and then what hap- what we're looking forward to this year. I want to get uh, Nick Powell in on that one because he's he's planning on going with us. He put in for the draw as well, um, so I, I look forward to to recording that one with with you guys. And you've given our listeners a little a little sneak peek into into some cool little cool aspects of that story, I think.
2: <laughs> yeah. We've got, we've got a lot of interesting things to talk about on that podcast for sure.
1: Oh yeah. It'll be a good one. So drew, I know, I know we're getting toward kind of the, the end of our standard time. We normally go on these podcasts. Um, and, and another thing is, um, uh, in our last episode, I already, I already kind of hit you with our rapid fire questions about hunt, your favorite hunting memory and, and bucket list hunts and that. but, I think one thing for both of us to talk about that would be kind of cool that is applicable to this is, is is going a little deeper on that bucket bucket list topic and talking about dream hunts, uh, talking about where we hope to go in future seasons because you especially, you have a lot on your plate every year it seems like, a lot of trips you try to plan and work around. What do you hope to add in future seasons? What do you hope to bring into the mix and, and accomplish in future hunting years?
2: Yeah, I think at the top of my list is I would love to go on a moose hunt, uh, whether that's in Canada, whether that's in Alaska, or even uh, I know there's a, a couple states still doing it here in the lower 48. But I've, that's something that I can't wait for the borders to open back up because that's that's something that I really want to get into. It looks like a lot of fun. It, it's a whole different style of hunting than I'm used to, even from hunting elk, and I just think that would be a whole different experience and something new to try. Uh, the other thing I would love to do, and man, I was hoping, I was really hoping that the ranch we were at last year for the staff hunt, that I was going to see an axis deer. Uh, <laughs> that, that was something I was really hoping that I could make happen. I know that's really high on my list. I would love to have an axis or shoot an axis sometime with, especially with the bow.
1: Man. A- Axis are really cool I, I I have had unfortunately it wasn't on video I have had the pleasure of shooting one it was a doe they're such cool animals and and, and especially in the in the winter time down here it seems like they're they're hard to hunt um, they they're very skittish they're very secluded they they hang back in in heavy brush and they they're just not as active as they are in in the, in the spring and summertime And, and axis deer. For those of you who are up North, who don't know, they're considered an exotic down here in Texas, which means all you have to have is just a, is basically you have to be a licensed hunter. You don't have to have a tag or anything like that to hunt them and you can hunt them year round. Um, there, there is no season for them. So they're, they're really a unique animal, a really cool animal. Um, that's unique down here in Texas in the South. Um, so and, and like I said I've had the the privilege of shooting a doe. They're they're they taste absolutely amazing as well. They're really good eating. But I'm with you, Drew. I, I would like to get out there and and shoot some axis again and and get me a really nice buck as well. That that would be that would be awesome.
2: Yeah, and I know personally like I prefer doing euro mounts, but I think if I was going to do it, I think that's one that I'm definitely saving the cape seeing those full-size deer with spots on them is like such a surreal experience when I'm used to hunting whitetails and seeing this full size deer come and walk it in with spots I think it would be a lot of fun
1: man it, yeah it, it's strange like so when I shot my doe I had the I had the hide tanned um and it's laying across my living room couch and people come in they're like that's really big to be a baby deer <laughs> and I'm like no it's it's not a baby deer it's a different kind of deer this this is a deer that never loses its spots you know <laughs> yeah So you got moose, you have axis. Those are some dream hunts for you. What else do you have that's high on that list? Oh
2: man, there's a lot, I guess. (laughs) I'd like to do a little bit more uh, bird hunting. I know there's some, some species of ducks and geese that we don't get through the central flyway that it would be really interesting to get out, whether it's out west to shoot brants or whether it's, out to Alaska to go after some King Eiders or you know, some of the more challenging, difficult to get to places. It's for me it's all about the de- or the trip and the destination is is high for me. Getting to see new places and experience new types of hunting is huge for me. So I think I think that would probably round up my top three is some of those more unique bird hunting trips.
1: Awesome. Well Drew, it's been it's been really cool to talk to you again about kind of to to build upon what we what we previously discussed in the last episode together, and then uh, and then bring some new stuff into it with talking about the different different hunts, different tags, and and stuff like that. I've really enjoyed it, man.
2: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. There was a lot of topics that I was thinking of afterwards, and that people have reached out to, and it was it was really good to cover those. And I think we touched on a lot of really good things today.
1: Yeah, we for sure did. Yeah, keep writing them down when you think of them, man, because we're we're obviously uh we can keep building upon this. And and like I said, I look forward to hopefully here in the next few episodes we'll have a a Montana recap slash planning episode with uh with you, Nick Pal, and myself. And I, I guarantee that's going to be a, a fun one to talk about.
2: Yeah, and I'd even really encourage our listeners to submit some questions you know if there's something that they're listening to us talk about this and it spurs a question for them send them to us on our social media accounts we'll definitely include those in some of the future podcasts i think it would be really interesting to even try and fill out a, a, most of a podcast with some viewer questions
1: absolutely yeah guys that that's uh, that's a good segue kind of into our into our conclusion here for this episode and that is, Drew and I are both very, very active in uh, being on and checking our, our social media pages at Fall Obsession. Um, we're very interactive with people on there. So if you guys have, like Drew said, any questions, whether it's about anything we have discussed in previous episodes or this episode, or um, questions you would like us to address in future episodes, um, please send them to us. You can either comment on our posts. You can. We frequently have uh, little questions and stuff on our Instagram and Facebook stories that you guys can uh, ask them in. Or there's a spot on fallobsession.com slash podcast that you guys can go to um, 24-7 and, and ask a question, um, suggest a topic, or give us input on what you think of our podcast. So like Drew said, we highly encourage you guys to do that. Um, we're here for you guys, and we're here to... Uh, to help build everybody, including ourselves into, into better hunters and outdoorsmen through this podcast. So be sure that you guys do that. Go to social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, follow, Fall obsession, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are always putting out new videos every week on, uh, instructional videos, archery videos, uh, how to videos. Um, we're, we're constantly building a, a bigger, a bigger, uh, pool of content, um, Across the spectrum, across all different types of hunting and outdoor content. So uh, be sure that you check that out. Um, And like I said, if you haven't already, follow this podcast, hit that subscribe button. Um, That way you get notified every time we put out a new episode. So, Drew, did I miss anything?
2: No, I think we did a good job covering it today, Sam.
1: All right. Well, I appreciate you joining me again, buddy. And I thank all of our listeners for tuning into another episode of our Fall Obsession podcast. We will be back next week and talk to you guys then. We'll see you later.